You're listening to Frame 25, a brand new micro edition of the Brightwall Darkroom podcast in conversation with and sponsored by our friends at Gallery. Every month, we'll pick a title from Gallery's curated library and zoom in on a moment to better see the whole. I'm Veronica Fitzpatrick. And I'm Chad Perman. Today, we're chatting about Punch Trunk Love Yay. from 2002, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson and recommended by Canadian actress Taylor Russell. Punch Trunk Love, Paul Thomas Anderson. This is probably my favorite movie of, of all time. The whole movie is perfect. There's not one thing I would change. I don't know how. I mean, I do know how because he's a genius. I don't know how, but I know that he's a genius. <laughs> how he <laughs> executed that. You are crying of laughter and then you're crying out of pain. So that was Taylor Russell on Punch Trunk Love. Chad, I know you wanted to talk about this one in terms of looking at her curated library. What stood out about this to you? Everything stands out to me about Punch Drunk Love. It's kind of, it's great. <laughs> I love it. There's so many little moments, which I know this, this podcast is focused on those moments. So it's incredibly hard to pick out just one, but just to get the things that Paul Thomas Anderson does in this movie. In 2002, I, I'm, I'm old enough that I did watch it in theaters. And it was actually the first, uh, I think I told you guys, the first paid film review I ever wrote was on this movie. So little baby Chad was writing, this was really good. <laughs> and so I, I mean, I, I know a lot of people have had pretty first watch reactions that have ranged all over the gamut, um, pretty divisive. Anyone who watches it a second or third time, I don't usually hear that from <laughs> because the people that disliked it, hated it so much, they will never watch it a second time. And everyone else who starts to watch it, you start to get a little bit more in tune with what it's doing and its vibe. And it's a little less abrasive because you kind of know what to expect in certain parts that feel just incredibly raw when you're watching it the first time through. But I just see it as a really big romantic film and I'm a really big sucker for those. Mm -hmm. I like when they don't even try to make it subtle when it's just mythical and allegorical. and all. I mean, I just see this as a big classic fairy tale. And the moment that I had picked was um, a cinematic way of capturing kind of the, the part of the fairy tale aspects to the thing. But I, I, he does so many things all over the movie that are that's probably my 20th viewing this week and... Um, Still was catching little things that I hadn't noticed. Uh, just probably an Easter egg as a film. I mean, there's just so many little things in there. It'd be easier to find the non-Easter egg parts, probably. And, but they all work in service of the story. And I really see this as kind of a turning point, which is, you know, certainly not an original idea of mine because many people have said it, but as a turning point in his career that shifted it just towards this wide expanse of, you know, films and a style that you really can't pin to anybody else's, whereas his first, you know, mm. two, maybe three movies... Um, for counting Heart Eight, had had a lot more obvious stylistic uh, theft to them. Uh, this one actually steals a, a direct song from you know another movie and puts it in conversation with his own movie, and he just manages to synthesize a lot of stuff, and it really just changed the course of his career, as far as I can tell. So I like it for that as well, because he's probably one of my favorite filmmakers on the planet. So there's a lot of career development, kind of. Warren. ambiently Warren moving around, around this <laughs> film, right? And 2002, I think, is kind of a funny year because it's long ago enough now from 2023 yeah. that it feels like an older indie film, mm -hmm. but it's still recent enough that I remember seeing it in the theater and being like totally blown away. Oh, cool. So Great. for like any listeners who have not yet seen the film or like me, I just rewatched it this morning, haven't seen it since it came out in theaters. Oh, this is well over a decade before Uncut Gems. And we have Adam Sandler breaking from comic form in this still pretty funny, I would say, yeah. <laughs> but very peculiar kind of restless, romantic Paul Thomas Anderson film. 
And Sandler plays Barry Egan. He's a lonesome entrepreneur who plucks his way toward happiness with Emily Watson's Lena. I like plucks. Thank you for putting plucks. I assume (laughs) that was in reference to the harmonium and the little musical plucks. A little bit. I was trying to think of a kind of gentler way to say stumbles Mm. because there's so much fumbling and (laughs) chaos and like just errors in this film that I find really humane and relatable Mm -hmm. and yes, absurdist, but only insofar as it's hyperbolizing a really ordinary experience of kind of like trying to make the right decisions and trying to get toward like (laughs) your own version of a happy ending. Yeah. And it, it really goes for the, for the jugular in terms of uh, anxiety provoking, you know, I mean, it's Mm. really, I was so excited about this movie when I saw it. So we came home for Christmas break and I was like, you guys got to see this movie to my my parents and sister and wife and took them all and so excited. And I was second time through, I was loving it even more. And they viscerally, I've just never experienced this with me. I mean, people are like, oh, I didn't really like that. That wasn't for this one. They were mad. Like people Mm. were mad at me. Like, why did you make us watch this? What did you, I remember that question (laughs) very well. (laughs) What did you like about that? Which is just like not a, not a usual approach um, that, uh, that I'm used to having to respond to when I'm just talking about how much I love something. So I've had to defend it a lot. I have a lot less now because I think it's pretty accepted as a, as a great film now. But man, when it came out, people were mad at it. And I think as we talk about how great it is and how wonderful and lovely this moment is I'm about to get to. Just remember at the time it came out, people were upset at this movie. Upset. Yeah, it's really funny that you mentioned that. And I was thinking about your anecdote because in Taylor Russell's video, she Mm -hmm. also talks about having a really similar experience of taking a friend and a then boyfriend to the cinema in New York to see the film after having seen it several times herself on the big screen and seeing them not watch it or not enjoy it or be distracted in their viewing and just it not hitting in the same way and the like profound pain (laughs) of that kind of asymmetry of reception. (laughs) So let me just go back to this traumatizing question for you. (laughs) What did you like about that? (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. I'm 21 again. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, again, for me, and maybe it's just, I mean, I have plenty of experience with anxiety, so it wasn't putting me in a state I wasn't probably already in watching it. I, I just loved the interiority of, how it captured they, I mean, a lot of a lot of it's done through, you know, the music or sound collage that John Bryan orchestrates through some mm. of these parts. I'm just looking for a fancy way of saying like the bigger the anxiety and stress and chaos, the bigger the kind of cathartic release of this Hawaiian trilogy of scenes. Mm. Because it's so the, the movie's unrelenting in what it's doing to you <laughs> internally. One, you can't get really a beat on it on what is this, because it's stylistically doing things in just non-intuitive ways. So you're always kind of off beat a little bit with it and right when you kind of feel like you sink in it kind of shifts gears again so it's really just constant restlessness and really i mean obviously the obvious point now i guess is it's you know it's representing what how barry experiences the world Mm -hmm. so to someone who's so raw like i said it's got such thin skin where everything is just overwhelming to him as his life you know starts to close in at least in his head on him Mm -hmm. there's just all of these like the the soundtrack amps up with its weird rhythms and noises and syncopations and the shots get more interesting. But sorry, one thing I just realized too, it's got his longest um, average shot length of any of his films, which is really interesting. Mm. He plays with that kind of stuff a lot, but then I'll also do a bunch of quick edits. There's so much going on to like get you in this certain mind space. There's no moment when he's like, oh, you know, I realize I can just go to Hawaii. I don't have to 
collect all these pudding points, which sounds crazy that we haven't mentioned that. So that, that sentence makes sense if you've seen the movie. He, <laughs> he just decides, I don't need all this pudding. I can just go to Hawaii. It's just a little switch in him. And then the whole mm. movie, and that's what I just love, is that it just tracks so well, like as much as you could feel his pain and his anxiety and his just social awkwardness and just how awful it must be to be in his head sometimes. You could also feel this really amazing moment of like, oh my God, I'm doing this thing and I'm in love. And so the, the love is equally as well captured, I think, mm-hmm. through over the top kind of cinematic stuff and score and camera shots and all that in this really beautiful scene. So yeah. Tell me what the moment is that most represents the cinematic approach to translating interior experience for you. Um, Sorry, that was a really good question that I lost track of halfway through. <laughs> Could you say that again? I will. Just, I was. I was like, this is a good sentence, and then I was like, oh, I've got to answer it's this. It's just what's the moment? <laughs> Fair. Okay. I'm just pointing at the moment door and okay, Going turning the, the knob. Door. All right. So the iconic thing that everyone kind of knows if they know anything about the movie because it's on the poster and it's on every mm. you know screen is them kind of hugging Barry and Lena. Yes, Barry and Lena. Making a little heart between them as, as they're hugging, which is really cool. And everyone knows that shot. So this is an appendage to that. It's a little bit later on. There's this little, what I call, trilogy of songs, which is another interesting thing Anderson does where he literally lets three entire songs play out in their entirety underneath all these things that are happening. Very romantic stuff. That's you know He takes the He Needs Me from, from Popeye from the Altman film with Shelley Duvall. And then he also takes a song called Moana. It's got to be right, like the movie. Moana Chimes, which I found out this morning was a song from the 1920s. I thought mm. that it was a John Bryan song for most of my life. And Waikiki, sorry, is in there. So I, I did the order wrong. He needs me Waikiki, Moana Chimes. And then underneath that is just this suite of just him going to Hawaii, meeting her, all this stuff. And the, the moment that I love, um, I mean, I love that whole thing. I could watch that section every day of my life and be perfectly content. But the there's a little Irish shot as they're walking down the hallway. They have hugged, I guess, but they haven't really romantically connected in any way quite yet so they're walking down this hallway it even takes its real time in that because i watched this this morning to see like okay whose hand reaches for whose first Mm. but it just slowly tracks you know tracking shot down the hallway and then it starts to iris in which i mean i'm just a huge sucker for film tricks and uh, love me a good iris Mm -hmm. so it does that that's not quite the moment though this is the micro moment of the moment which is once it gets into its iris shot and i haven't seen this certainly could have happened before but once that iris is in, instead of staying still, the camera tracks it and focuses as they start to head around the corner so that it keeps their hands in the center mm-hmm. of the frame there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that little thing, I have no idea if that was an accident that they just decided to keep in. I mean, I really doubt that. <laughs> it's just such a curious thing to think of someone having the thought, you know what, let's just move the camera a tiny bit at the end of this already antiquated but very cool classic uh film technique so i just thought that was representative of like just the focus of you know both them as the heroes of this fairy tale and love is the focus because it's their hands kind of clenched really tight mm-hmm. it's the first moment that's the next scene that comes up is the other one everyone loves which is the bed scene where they you know talk really funny and sexily everyone loves that next scene too so but this is like for me this is that little micro moment of like oh cute it's the end of a little fairy tale little love sequence here and then it yeah, but it's also a movie. Look, I mean, we're going to move the camera a tiny little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like Paul Thomas Anderson kind of winking at you, but not in a smarmy way. Like he had a he had a little bit of a habit of doing in the, the films before that, where he was really like showing off. This didn't feel like a show off move, like all the Boogie Nights and Magnolia mm. things often did, even though I love those movies. So, yeah. So that's my moment. My moment in a moment. I love that. 
Yeah. There's a part of an essay that Miranda July wrote for Criterion about the yeah. film where she mentions that Barry flying to Hawaii in the first place is one of her mm -hmm. favorite sort of plot points. And she writes, this is also my favorite thing in life, the sudden understanding that you aren't condemned to sadness, that you can simply walk toward the thing you want. Yeah. I love how paradoxical this is because yes, you can simply do that, but there's nothing really <laughs> simple about making that move. And then no. similarly, I think there's a paradox in this moment that you identify where, you know, as you said earlier in the film, and even after this point, maybe especially after this point, things are kind of closing in on Barry. There are forces at work that <laughs> seek his ruin, his financial <laughs> ruin, his personal ruin. His, yeah, personal He's safety. He's really yeah. going to go through it after this like beautiful kind of proto honeymoon moment in Hawaii. But in this moment, we have this kind of visual tightening of the frame mm -hmm. onto something very specific that seems actually paradoxically tied to a kind of emotional expansiveness. Mm -hmm. Your life could be a sort of big as you'd like it to be. Yeah. I love that that idea is kind of contained in this actually very like discreet, delimiting kind of gesture. <laughs> Normally, I think we see irises used in a kind of nostalgic vein yeah. to make us think about anachronistic editing techniques or to pull our attention to one specific part of the frame. But in this case, there it's just such a sweet, pure kind it's, of it is moment. Sweet. You know? I was going to just say sweet, but that just was not going to fill enough time on the podcast. So <laughs> it's so sweet. It's such it a sweet so little thing. It is so sweet, but I <laughs> think you're right. And it's extra sweet with a little movement. I don't know what I love about that movement, but I love it's it. It's like sort of sexy, but not smarmy. And it's sweet, but it's not saccharine. It's just this yeah. like lovely little point in the film. Yeah. And also, you know, uh, zooming out from all that, like there are so many, like I started by saying, there's so many of those little moments mm. sprinkled throughout. I mean, even in, in the hallway this morning, I noticed, no, sorry, that makes it sound like my hallway. Uh, it was not in my hallway, but uh, that little, there's a little quick blue lens flare before mm -hmm. they start to go. And, uh, and those things are throughout the film. So you kind mm -hmm. of don't notice where they all are. Right. I hadn't remembered that there's one even in that, in that shot. And, you know, we haven't even talked about like the interstitial, like Jeremy Blake stuff. They're just, he just throws a lot of stuff in there and somehow it all works and doesn't seem like he's trying too hard. I just love everything about it. And the colors, that's the other part about the Hawaii thing in general. Um, the color palette just opens up really nicely and the blue goes from that awful blue of like his plunger warehouse to this nice blue of Hawaii, which with the wonderful line of, wow, this really looks a lot like Hawaii. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's a calm moment. And the, the film has just not been very calm up to that point mm -hmm. when they're just kind of chilling in the blue of Hawaii and then they get to the hallway and then my little moment. And then yes, chaos reigns afterwards, but he's got all the strength from this kind of choice he's made and this love mm -hmm. that he feels that now he's on a mission. He's not just fighting to preserve his own self. He's mm -hmm. fighting for love and he's fighting for Lena and he's got to vanquish all these forces and that does so in a very interesting way. <laughs> so it's it's, a, it's just a perfect moment in my mind in his career and in, in movies to minimize it quite a bit. <laughs> that's that. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Thanks for listening to another installment of our new bite-sized monthly series in conversation with and sponsored by our friends at Gallery. And we'd actually love for you guys to join the conversation as well. Uh, in the weeks ahead, Veronica and I will be hosting a live event on Gallery centered around this month's film, Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. We'll be announcing the date of the live discussion along with some more details soon. So please subscribe, follow us on social media, or sign up for our weekly newsletter 
to stay in the loop and be among the first to know how to join our discussion. We're really excited to get a chance to talk with you. And please tune in next month for another close look. This episode is sponsored by Gallery, a new kind of film club helmed by Indian paintbrush and shaped by artists and filmmakers. Brightwall Darkroom listeners can sign up for early access at join.gallery.com BWDR. Our theme music is composed by Chad Perman. This podcast is produced and edited by Eli Sands. Hey. Peace out.